there are some stories that are worth repeating over and over again. Likely, if you've gotten together with old friends or family, you've probably had this exact conversation. Hey, you remember that time you did that crazy thing? And that guy's like, yeah, yeah, I remember that. And then you proceed to tell the story together. You kind of like just rehearse it again. Even though you both were there and you both know the story, you still say it again. Or maybe you gather with family during the holidays or whenever you may gather. You remember sad times. You remember happy times. But you, you know the stories, but you still say them again. We see this in Scripture as well, that we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four accounts of the gospel of Christ. And from an outsider perspective, looking in, you may wonder, why? Why? I mean, is one enough? Why do we need four? They're all say kind of the same thing. We have four gospels telling of Christ. And it could seem redundant, but we have a story that's worth remembering. We have a story that's worth repeating. It's the gospel of Christ. So as we take a look at what Peter has to say here, what Jerry just read for us, uh, we, we look at what Peter has to say about the importance of the gospel of Christ, the importance of remembering the majestic truth of Christ. We'll see that it's worth every reminder and that it's founded on the authority of God himself. In verse 12, you'll recall, Peter says, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. So it says, doesn't intend to remind them sometimes, every now and then, special occasions. No, he reminds them always. He intends to always remind them. And what is he reminding the reader of? He's reminding them of the gospel of Christ. In order for you to remind someone of something, kind of in the definition, it means that you kind of, that person has to know it already. I can't remind you of something you don't know. In fact, here he's reminding them, but he's, he's saying that they are uh, established in this faith. They know this truth. They're established in it. But yet, he still sees a need to remind them always of this truth. So why? Why continue to remind to repeat this truth over and over. Have you ever felt like a, like a broken record talking to somebody? Like you, you feel like you've said something to someone maybe a hundred times and they still don't really get it. Megan, to me, like, hey, that goes there. I forget where things go. She just tells me over and over again, but I forget. Or maybe uh, you're a kid right now or you once were a kid. I think that, I think that covers everyone, right? Yeah, okay, good. Uh, and, and you maybe got some instruction from your parents or your grandparents, whoever raised you, they maybe had some house rules that you were supposed to know and to follow all the time, right? So as an example, this is one that's in our house, and it's one that my mom told me growing up. Hey, after dinner, clean up your dishes, okay? After dinner, take your dishes to the sink, pretty easy. Every day, she'd have to tell me that. And I'd still, I'd, I'd, after dinner, I'd be like, can I get down and I want to go play with my Legos or go do whatever? And I'd forget about that. Now, I guarantee you, if you were to sit down at dinner, and you're about to start, and your mom or whoever said, now, Stephen, what do we do after dinner? You'd be able to say, we clean up our dishes. 
But you still might forget afterward. You still would know back there somewhere. You know the answer, but your heart hasn't followed. You might know the right answer in your heart, but you haven't followed in obedience yet to what you've been instructed to do. We must not only be able to recite the truth of the gospel, we must retain it and act upon the truth. So just like Pastor Brent gave us last last Sunday, a verse to remember. He gave us a method to repeat it over and over and over again. Why? So that it would be ingrained not only in your mind, but also into your heart. That it would be driven into your understanding and that it would outwork in how you act and how you obey. As much as we can know of the gospel and are able to rehearse its truths, we still need a constant reminder. John Calvin said, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. We are often ready and willing to turn to something else, to raise up a new God and worship that and forget the truth of the gospel. So practically, we forget that. Practically meaning in our practice, in the things that we do. We may say it out loud with our mouth, but sometimes we don't live that practically. You may recall the story of Peter when he said to Jesus that he would never deny him. And of course, this was after he had seen many marvelous things that Jesus had done. He said, I will, I will never deny you. What does Peter say? I mean, what does Jesus say? He says, no, you will deny me. You will deny me three times before the rooster crows. So now Peter, turning to those he's writing to, he feels the weight of his denial of Jesus. He feels the weight of his self-preservation. But when Jesus appeared to him again after his resurrection, he came to Peter. He said, once, twice, three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter answers, of course, yes, I love you, three times. And each time, Jesus says, then feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. He repeats it over and over again. He restores Peter and he commissions him to the mission that he has to spread the gospel. But he repeats it over and over that it would be ingrained in his mind and in his heart that he would not forget the mission that he's been given, that he would not forget the call that he's been given by Christ his Lord. So Peter continues in verse 13. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. In other words, as long as I'm here on this earth, I want to push you along to remember the gospel. I want to remind you of the gospel. The idea of stirring someone up is much like trying to awaken them, you know. Uh, maybe you've got uh, somebody that you like to watch movies with, and they like to fall asleep in the middle of the movie, like right before the best part. You're like, wake up! You're like missing it! Here it is! It's coming! The hero is coming! You know, whatever. You all have that friend. You know who is this. Um, or maybe your, your children in the morning, you know, they're really slow to get up out of bed, and you've got to kind of like, hello, wake up, it's time to go. It's the stirring up. This is what Peter's talking about. He wants to stir those up who are falling asleep, which we are all prone to. We are all apt to fall asleep and forget the marvelous truth of Scripture. We need a constant reminder. And here Peter says, as long as I'm here, I want to remind you. And when I'm gone, I want to remind you. 
One of the ways we do this today, one of the ways we, we get a constant reminder is what we're doing right now. We gather to worship every single Sunday. And we structure our services, like I said last week, we did this little social experiment, and y'all came through so amazingly well, and you said, God, man, Christ, response. God, man, Christ, response. No doubt you've heard me say that a hundred times now, I'm sure. And I feel like a broken record sometimes saying that. But I, I need that. You need that. We need this constant reminder together. So we've, we've crafted that in this way, God, man, Christ, response. So just a little package of what the gospel is. The gospel is the story the love of God he has displayed in his son, Jesus. And so, as redundant as that may feel, or as often as we say that, we just do it every week, you hear the same things. In some ways, we do the same exact thing every Sunday. But church, I want to ask you, how many times are you confessing the same sin over and over again? How many times are you doubting the same things over and over again? How many Monday mornings do you get up and walk out the door and pretend that this isn't even real? Practically. At least as often as that occurs, we need the gospel. We need this to be reminded that this is true, that this is worthy of our lives. And so we're here. We do the same thing because we're going to commit the same sin and we're going to doubt the truth. We need this reminder. So we rehearse the good news. We want you to, we want you to, to, to hear this God-man-Christ response. We want you to see this service as a summary of the love of God. And like when someone that you love dearly comes to you and says, I love you. I love you. If it's your, your mom, your spouse, whoever, your friend, they say, I love you. You know that already. They say, I love you. You don't, you don't say, I know. I know you love me. No, you're like, I love you too. And your heart is lifted. You're encouraged. So when we are here, we're reminded God loves you. This is true. This is good for you. One of my favorite things that happened during the 2020 COVID-19 happenings and all the things that we were learning and changing and doing um, was when we were pre-recording our services for that brief couple months, we would record this overview of the scriptures that Miss Jenny was teaching our pre-K children across the street. And we were recording that, and I recorded it every single week. And I got to tell you, I felt a little silly recording it every single week. I really could have just taken that clip, saved a little bit of work, just popped it right into the next week. But it was good for my heart to sit there. I'm, I'm holding the camera, and I'm like saying the things along with her, you know, trying not to make too much noise. It was good for my heart to remember what was done. And then we came back together as a church that first Sunday. We were able to meet back together, and we did it again here in person. Some of you felt a little silly, but it was good for us to remember i got to tell you, I'm so thankful for the people across the street who are helping to instruct and teach our children the gospel of Christ. I'm thankful for Jenny. I'm thankful for John. I'm thankful for 
all the many volunteers and leaders that we have over there that are serving. We are blessed with great people, but there is still work to be done. Kids, kids just thrive off of this repetitive nature of teaching. They, they love things. Like things that are funny to them, you can do them a hundred times and they're still funny. Like I, was, I have a little 17-month-old boy named Solomon, and, and we were doing this thing yesterday where I'd put my hand out and he'd smack my hand and then I'd pinch his belly, and it was the best thing. Like he loved it. We did it like 50 times. It was great. It's great for me, great for him. It's great. Um, but ac- across the street, we're, we're doing that. We're repeating this, this song. We need people over there to help teach and instruct, and then in turn, be uplifted yourself. So if you'd like to do that, Miss Jenny um, and John would love to, to, to hear from you. Serve in that way. Verse 14, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Peter knows that he will soon die and leave behind his body. What does he continue to say in verse 15? I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. He's writing these things down in this letter that they may be able to at any time recall these things that he's reminding them of. He knows his days are coming to an end and he would be crucified. He has to be crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to die the same death of his marvelous Savior. So his days came to an end. He made every effort that we would be able to remember. The truth of Christ was worth every reminder. The truth of Christ was also eyewitnessed. Verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The testimony of these men is given in their eyewitness accounts. And the word myths here is intentional. Greek mythology was prevalent and invasive in this time. Mythology was rooted in legends of mythical gods. No one could have possibly experienced a first-hand encounter with these mystical gods. So the idea of them being personal in any way was, was foreign. But when Peter experienced what he did, walking with Jesus, seeing him on the Mount of Transfiguration, which we'll talk about in just a moment, what he experienced there was not a myth. It was substantially more wonderful. So he makes a statement here, and he he tells us what the truth is not before he tells us what it is. He desires to make it clear that the truth regarding Christ is not a mere myth like that of Greek mythology, but that it is something they have seen with their own eyes and they have heard with their ears. Peter's making a case for the truthfulness of his testimony. It's not unusual today for what we believe as Christians to come under scrutiny, to maybe even be called a myth, be called something that was created for selfish gain or whatever. There have been many accusations. This isn't, this isn't news to you. If you've been on Facebook or any other form of social media, you've turned on the news, you've seen where Christians are being called things that we know we aren't. 
Peter here is showing us that Christian faith has been substantiated, that it is trustworthy. It was substantiated in the scriptures and prophecy, but now their testimony of Christ is not only based on Old Testament passages and Old Testament prophecy, but also with their own eyes. Confidence Peter has in the validity of his message is not found in legends or myths of a bunch of made-up gods. You have to understand, people, people knew that these were legends. But his confidence is placed in the historical knowledge of the word that is fully realized in Christ and the hope that he brings in a second coming. I'd like to ask you to turn uh, in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15. If you're using the, the Pewback Bible, it's going to be page 961. 1 Corinthians is a letter from Paul. It was written to the church in Corinth, which he planted. And he's, he's hearing of divisions in the church. He's hearing of disunity. And so in order to bring about unity, he's writing to them. And he, one of the ways he does that is he reminds them of the gospel, the resurrection of Christ. So this is Paul's account here, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in the first verse. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. But it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Paul's first account of Christ here in this passage is that what Christ did was in accordance with the scriptures, showing that it's true and trustworthy. But much like those who saw and still struggled to believe, or Peter who saw all of these marvelous works yet denied him, we doubt and rebel in our flesh. So Paul further gives examples of those he appeared to. He appeared to Cephas, which is another name for Peter. Then to the twelve and five hundred. James, all of the apostles, and then to me. Friends, I want you to hear this today. Jesus is the resurrected Christ. No measure of doubt, no heap of sin is too great for this to be good news for you today. 
Entrust your soul to our Lord today. The truth of Christ, there's eyewitness. So the truth of Christ is rooted in the authority of the triune God. This is not man's story. This is God's story based on his authority. The Father's voice affirmed the Son as he radiated the glory of God. Verse 17. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We are served, ourselves heard his very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. The holy mountain referring to the Mount of Transfiguration. The account of Peter's and others' firsthand knowledge of Christ is expounded upon here. We read that the Father, in an audible voice, affirmed that Jesus was indeed the Son of God, one worthy to listen to, one who pleases God the Father. He said this, like, for people to hear. one of those things that, man, if I could have been anywhere next to the resurrection of Christ, I think this would have been the thing I would have loved to have seen and known. This, this amazing display of the glory of our Savior. Of course, this reminds us of Matthew 3 when Jesus was baptized and the voice of the Lord calls out and he declares that Jesus is the Son of God. This is also a, a fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 42, verse 1. It says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Not only did they witness the Father's pleasure in the Son audibly, they saw him in radiant glory as he shone marvelous light. They witnessed his glory, his majestic wonder and amazement. I'm not going to ask you to turn here, but Matthew 17, verses 1 through 8, you can write that down. I'm going to read for you this account, Matthew's account of the transfiguration. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking. When behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one 
Jesus only. Jesus, the one that God the Father just said, listen to him. He approaches them. You can see them just coming, him coming down to them. Rise up. Don't be afraid. I'm, I'm the same one. They look to him. Holy Spirit aided holy men in bringing us the prophetic word of God. Verse 19 reads, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The apostles were fully convinced the Old Testament was reliable and true. They didn't need the confirmation of Christ to know and validate the Old Testament. But on the other hand, Peter here is saying that what they have heard and seen on the Mount of Transfiguration is confirmed by the prophets. He tells them you will do good to pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place. Pay attention don't look around to something found in the darkness lest you stumble and fall. And one day, we all will see him in his radiant glory when he comes again. Verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. You, you should mark this verse in your Bible. You should mark this because Peter puts our feet on a solid foundation of Scripture. This is not from the cunningness of man. This is not some mumbo-jumbo that some dudes made up. This is the Word of God. It is a worthy and firm foundation. And it helps us as we move into chapter 2 and the coming weeks. As we learn of false teachers that will come in and try to distort and bring in heresies, twist the word. We have to trust the word. It's a firm foundation for us. This verse does bring up some questions, though, and I, I want to take just a moment to, to step to the side and just talk about this for a minute. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Have you ever been sitting in a Bible study or, Lord forbid, get into some spicy Facebook debate. Just me? Okay, great. About the, the truths of Scripture, what you see in Scripture, what you believe to be true about Scripture. And you say your thing, or you post your thing, and somebody says, well, that's your interpretation. Now, that's a really obvious statement, right? Like, I just interpreted Scripture, and I put it out there, and you said, that's your interpretation. And I'm like, yeah. It is my interpretation. That's not what they mean, though, is it? What they mean is, well, you can believe that interpretation, and I'll believe this interpretation. Usually, it's a statement that the way you interpret, they don't really like it. <laughs> and I'm going to interpret it the way that I like it. Um. I want to encourage you, while we are free to interpret scriptures, we've been indwelt with the Spirit, we've been given the Spirit as an aid and a help for us to 
turn to Scripture and to know the truth. So while we've been given the gift of being able to interpret Scripture, we have not been given the freedom to interpret it incorrectly. R.C. Sproul says, God has never given us the right to be wrong about the Word of God. We don't have the right to be wrong about the Word of God. That's important to know that there are no infallible interpreters, okay? It's just the truth. We're doing our very best, led by the Spirit. But this, but this is infallible. This is infallible. And so we're going to try our best to understand, and we're still all learning but we, we, we want to break against this. We can't come at this and say, I, I think this is right, and you've you got to be wrong. When handling the word and preaching and private study, maybe in a small group, we are seeking to understand the scripture within its context, to know and explain the timeless truths within. So we don't have permission to change what was meant or arrive at different conclusions that, co that collide with the rest of Scripture. What we are able to do is open ourselves up to different applications. So when, when you hear this truth, what you may be led to confess and to change may be different than what I'm changing. But it's all because of the timeless, perfect Word of God. I want to continue in verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What's been written and contained in these scriptures is not the creation of man. It's the word of God. One of our catechism questions for our children. A catechism is simply just a series of questions and answers that help teach doctrine, and help kids understand or adults understand more about God and who he is and what he's done. One of our questions that we ask them is, who wrote the Bible? And their answer, if they were here, they'd probably say it. Holy men taught by the Holy Spirit. The scriptures are breathed out, fully inspired by God. They are complete. They're not open any longer. The Bible as we have it is trustworthy and true. And these accounts of scripture, these accounts in scripture, these eyewitness accounts, they're, they're strengthening for us. So as we turn to this in our doubt, in our unbelief, we're strengthened and helped by his word. Why, why do we feel like we need more answers? Like we, like we need more evidence, you know? Why do we think that, that we can decide what is true or not by the way that we understand it? Why? I want to I offer you a, a bit of a hard answer, so I want you to gird up for a second, and I want you to hear this. We, we want more answers. We want to understand it and have our hearts affirm it to be true because we can, we can get it right here because we want to be the king of the truth. We want to be God. We want to define what is true. And you see that all around us. 
you see that? People are defining the truth based on their own experience. And what happens is when you take the truth and you bend it and you decide, this is what's true now because this is what I feel or this is what I believe. You've made yourself the center of what could be true. Not God. And so when we distort the truth to make it the way that we like it, you're worshiping yourself. And sadly, it doesn't just happen outside of the church walls. It's starting to creep in. We must fight against that. This is our foundation. This is what we believe. This is how we're informed. This is how God has revealed himself to us. Not in your personal experience and the way that you want it to be. So take his word. Feast upon it. Be taught by it. Be instructed by it. Live by it. Wrestle. Wrestle with it. Beat your flesh into submission to it. When you hear the convicting word of God that says that your sin deserves God's anger and punishment, you're going to be tempted to say, I don't think I'm that bad. Surely, I mean, surely, that's just poetry. No. His word is trustworthy and true. Your sin does deserve God's anger and punishment. But if you keep reading, you will find that the love of God is greater far than any of our sin. That's a church. Take up and read. Don't come to it with all of your presuppositions and decide, I know what it's going to say to me. I know what it says there. I don't need to be taught. Submit. Humble yourself before a holy God who's given you his perfect, infallible word that we can be changed. What has been given to us in the scriptures has been written by holy men who are carried along like a ship on the waves by the Holy Spirit. So what do we do with this? We've, we've heard this good news from Scripture. How do, we, how do we now take some steps? These are our next steps. This is what we can do practically. I'm going to ask you a question. What rhythms, or ask yourself this question, what rhythms can I better establish to be sure that I have a constant reminder of the gospel of Christ? Are you in proximity with other believers who will preach the gospel to you? There are many opportunities here at Grace to be a part of some groups. You can jump in with our women's ministry, be a part of a women's Bible study, part of FFE, or part of many of the, the things that they will do together to preach the gospel to one another, to not leave anyone stranded, but to take them along and to teach them the truth, to be reminded. Kim and the other leaders have done an amazing job to help shepherd our women. There's digital ways you can be a part of those groups and so Kim thank you so much for leading and helping in that way you guys take that up don't be anonymous men as well we have a men's ministry we, we meet the the first Tuesday of every month we have lunch together 
We'll hear a testimony, a gospel-centered testimony that will encourage your faith. It will remind you that, yes, we are all sinners, but we have a marvelous Savior. You'll be reminded of the truth. Take us up on that. Join a men's huddle where you can pray, read the word together, encourage in your faith. Small groups starting up this week. I'm so excited to meet with our small group tonight. We want to, to devote ourselves to the word. We want to be informed by the word. So we'll do that together in small groups as well. If you are not a part of a small group, take that little connect card in front of you. Just write on there, I want to be a part of a small group. Just put your name. And take it back here to Miss Cynthia. She'll have uh, some information for you. And we want to get you plugged in and get you connected in that way. But on the flip side of that, not just who's pouring into you. Are you, are you pouring into others? Is your first uh, encouragement to other believers the gospel? We don't need extra man-centered wisdom. We don't need any more self-help books, okay? We need the gospel. So is your first answer when someone confesses their sin to you and their need, is your first answer, hey, remember the gospel. Hey, remember what Jesus has done. We need these rhythms in our lives. As we seek to take a heart that by default beats for our own glory, and tunes it into the tempo. You knew I was going to throw in a music thing here, right? Okay. It tunes it to the tempo of a heart that beats for the glory of God. These rhythms help us do that. So secondly, allow the complete word of God to speak into your doubt. If you've not yet trusted in Christ, we truly believe this. We can't say like Paul or Peter that we that we had a, a physical encounter with Christ. But as you look around, you will see sinner after sinner who's experienced the grace of God. Saved by the miraculous work of Christ. And that is real. And you can hear our testimonies. We have experienced this. But don't take our word for it alone. Take up his word and read and discover for yourself the marvelous grace of Christ and what he has done for us. Turn from your sin and find life in Christ. Believer, every one of us doubts from season to season. You may have a recurring doubt, even this morning as I'm saying these things. You may be even doubting now. I want to remind you of a, of a quote from Lilius Trotter, who was an artist and a missionary. She said, Believe in the darkness, what you have seen in the light. In our moments of suffering and trial, it's easy to just say, maybe this is all made up. Maybe this isn't even real. Don't believe when you're at your worst what you knew in your best to be true. In the darkness, wait on the morning star. Cling to the truth. He's coming again to deliver us forever. But even now, we can have peace in him. Church, I want to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to sing in Christ alone. Who is your greatest hope? Who is your greatest treasure and source of life? It's Christ. It is him. He's the only one. In him we are kept until the end. I want to read you a short portion of one of the verses of this modern hymn. 
No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or he calls me home. Here, in the power of Christ, I'll stand. This story is worth remembering. This story is worth repeating. And this story is worth singing. The glory of Christ. So church, lift your voice and sing.